have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 8, and in a few moments we'll be looking at verse 29. I can't tell you how many times through the years that people seeking to justify their actions or the choices they have made or they, they are making have said to me in the form of a question, the pastor, don't you think the Lord wants me to be happy? And I ask, you know, I respond with truth. Well, certainly Lord has no problem with us being happy. I mean, I want to experience happiness in, in my life, but that's not really what God is focused on in my life. Really what the Lord is looking for in my life is for me to simply love him and trust him and obey him because he is focused on something exceedingly abundantly greater than simple happiness. Happiness, as you know, it's a shallow emotion and it's fickle. I mean, it's here one second, it's gone the next second. You know, this... This morning you can be extremely happy, this afternoon you can be extremely sad or angry. I mean, it just comes and it goes. But what the Lord is focused on is that we experience two things that are greater, much greater than happiness. Peter mentions one of them in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, and he talks about us experiencing what he calls joy unspeakable. Another translation is indescribable. In other words, a joy that we are experiencing in our hearts, we're experiencing in our souls that we really don't have words to explain. The Apostle Paul focuses in on the other in Philippians chapter, chapter 4 and verse 7 when he talks about us experiencing that peace not just the absence of conflict, but a peace that surpasses all understanding. We really just, we can't wrap our minds around it, but it's, but it's awesome when it happens, when our hearts and our lives are, are filled with the peace of God. That's really what he desires in our life. And that comes from loving him and trusting him and obeying him. But to the degree that we love him and we trust him and we obey him has to come from a greater goal, the ultimate goal that the Lord has for our lives. And that is expressed to us right here in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 29. For in this verse he says, he is writing, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I want you to focus on that phrase. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. You, you have, I'm sure you've heard it said many times. That the simple way to word that is say, he wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow up spiritually, and the evidence that we're growing up spiritually is that our lives, as we grow, the attitudes of our lives, the actions of our lives, the way we respond to the realities and responsibilities of life 
are reflected in, in being closer and closer, more like Jesus. That's growing up. That's spiritually growing up. One of the problems Paul had with the church in Corinth is that they were not growing up. They were not maturing in, in the faith, and so they were remaining babes in Christ, and because they were babes in Christ, they had conflicts, and, and uh, they, they had difficulty understanding truth. I mean, it was just so many, and he is having to address all of those things because they were not growing up in the Lord. They, their lives were not being conformed to the image of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as we grow, we love him more. As we grow, we trust him more. As we grow, we obey him more. And that's where we begin to experience more and more of this unspeakable joy and this peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, with that being said... And wanting to talk about this, this concept of being conformed to the image of his son, growing up in Christ, I want you to consider with me three spiritual realities. And the first spiritual reality is we think about growing up, we think about maturing. I want you to know that we all, as followers of Christ, have a personal trainer. Now, I think we all understand what we mean by a personal trainer. That's that's someone who is specifically focused in on us to help us. The athletes have personal trainers. Some of them trying to uh, have someone to help them hone in on their abilities and their skills to get as best as they could be in whatever it is they were doing. People of the arts, it could be instruments, it could be voices, they have personal trainers. There are some people who have personal trainers to, well, help them gain weight. When I went to the University of South Carolina uh, to play football there, I was 160 pounds soaking wet. They needed someone, a personal trainer that we had there at the University of South Carolina to work with me to gain weight so that I could survive. As I was having to hit or be hit by these 300-pound rascals out there who wanted to destroy me. So there, there are times we need personal trainers to gain weight. Of course, you know, we have personal trainers to help us lose weight. We have personal trainers to help us get in shape and to stay in shape. And sometimes, look, when we have surgeries, rehab, you've got a personal trainer or a number of personal trainers who are going to help you to rehab. Try to restore what you had lost because of the surgery you had to have. Well, spiritually, we have a personal trainer, and that personal trainer is the best of the best because it's the Lord himself. Look with me in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi, and, and he, just, he just talks about uh, what God is doing in our lives since we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm talking to all who are followers of Christ. And here's what Paul says in verse 6. You probably heard this verse many times, but here's what he said. For I am confident of this very thing. That word confident means he had no questions, there were no doubts, no shadow of doubt at all. He says, I, have, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began 
a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So using myself as an example, when I was seven and I received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior in a white sanctuary where the parking lot is uh, behind us going towards the upper sanctuary, that was the third, the one step there is the fourth sanctuary, and I guess you call this one the fifth, uh, through the years that we've been here, God began to work in me, but he just didn't bring me to salvation and left me to myself. No, he became a personal trainer. He's my personal spiritual trainer in my life, and he is working in my life daily. He's working in my life today. He's working in your life today, and he's using everything he can, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as it comes into our life to conform us to the image of his son. Kind of happens like this. Before we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, you could say that from a spiritual standpoint, we're just a black piece of coal. But once we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, God, with his his omnipotent hands of grace, surrounds us. And by his grace, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he brings us into a new creation. We are new creatures in Christ so that having received Christ, when he opens up his hand, no longer is there a black piece of coal there. There is a diamond there. And the good news is that diamond can never, ever again be a black piece of coal. It has been transformed by the omnipotent grace of God, his hands in our life. We're now new creatures, but that's just the beginning of his work because that is a rough diamond. And so then the Lord, through his creativity, begins to work in our life. He's got to begin cutting facets into our life. And he has a model to go by, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is working in our lives, cutting facets in our lives, making us more and more into the image of conforming us into the image of his son. Now the question is, do you enjoy it or not? That depends on whether or not you are working with him or you are working against him. In other words, you can resist him. And you can resist the work that he is doing in your life to conform you to the image of his son. And and as a result of that, what happens is you become very soft because you never grow up. You become unusable in his kingdom because what happens is by becoming soft, we become spiritual couch potatoes. You know what I'm talking about. And, And so we're not doing anything. We're just accepting the fact that we're now new creatures in Christ. We're a rough diamond, but we're not doing anything. And so we're soft. We're, we're unusable. We're a couch potato and we become self absorbed. I just described for you what's happening in most churches in America. Isn't it amazing to you? It is to me. It breaks my heart that we see even now with the pressure that is coming upon us because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all across this nation. And by the way, it's not just here. It's around the world as well. But how many so quickly are just folding, just like that? Pastors are folding. Churches are folding. Why? Because they're soft. 
They've never started growing. So they don't have the strength. They don't have the spiritual strength. They, they, they're couch potatoes. They're unusable for the kingdom of God. And they're just thinking of themselves. And so we have a personal trainer that in the spirit of love is kind of like some of these rehab trainers. You know, they're pushing. And sometimes we... We get kind of frustrated with them. Now, don't look at me like you're spiritual, like you haven't gotten frustrated with what's happening in your life. But let me remind you, I just told you, he uses the good, he uses the bad, he uses the ugly, he uses the hard, because he has a goal. And as our spiritual personal trainer, he is not going to get discouraged. He is not going to be defeated. And he will not be distracted from what he wants to achieve in you and in me. Now, with that being said, I want you to notice a second spiritual reality involved in this process of being conformed to the image of his son. And not only that we have a, a personal trainer, but we, this personal trainer has a prioritized focus. He really is zero in on one incredible key element of our relationship with him, and that is our faith. Our faith. You know Hebrews 11:6, I'm sure. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me show you how the process goes. The Holy Spirit of God you, seeks to bring us, first of all, to what I call simple faith. He's working in a person's life and he, and he wants, of course, lead them ultimately to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, but what he begins with is just simple faith. He just wants to get a person to the point where they actually believe there is a God. Those who come to God must first believe that he is. So that's where the Holy Spirit of God begins. And we call it simple faith. Now, from simple faith, he has moved many of you here, maybe all of you, I don't know, but many of you here to what we call salvation faith. Salvation faith is when you not only know that there is a God and believe there is a God, but you begin to believe what the scripture says, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you accept his son, the Lord Jesus, as your own personal Lord and Savior. And now you have entered into this incredible relationship with him and the gift of eternal life is yours forever. But the Holy Spirit's not through there. For the Holy Spirit is now wanting to lead you to a strong faith in God. There's simple faith, there's salvation faith, but then his goal is strong faith. Because my faith, the level of my faith will determine really how much I love him, how much I trust him, how much I going to obey him and that's going to open up my life to how much of this unspeakable joy and this peace that passes all understanding I'm going to experience through my earthly life. And so he starts testing our faith. 
Let me draw your attention to what I think is one of the most incredible tests of faith given to us in Scripture. Found in Genesis chapter 22. And this is where the Lord is testing Abraham. I want to read the first two verses, share a few words on that, and then make that application for us. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, now take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Just the thought of that sends chills through me. And so Abraham's faith was being tested. Now when I, when I read those two verses, two things immediately jump into my mind. First of all, my first response, I say, Lord, <clears throat> did you make a mistake? Because you said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. The Lord, you know Isaac has a brother older than him, Ishmael. You know, Ishmael, Abraham had Ishmael through Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah. Why, why did you say your, son, your only son, Isaac? I had to sort that out in my mind. And the Lord just reminded me that he is only acknowledging what he had done and what he was doing in Abraham's life. Isaac was the work of the hand of the Lord. As we know, a miraculous work of the hand of the Lord. I, uh, Ishmael was, well, that was the work of Abraham. And so it's important for us to understand that there is a temptation we have, there is a challenge we sometimes face that we should not yield to that temptation, and that is this. We try many times to fulfill God's promises for him our way. We try so many times to fulfill his plans through our own human reasoning instead of waiting upon him for God to be God and to show himself mighty on our behalf. And so we have principles. We find a principle in the word of God and, and we want to live by that principle. So we start living by that principle and, and things are not unfolding exactly the way we imagined they were going to unfold or how quickly they should unfold. And so, well, let's just help God out here. And so we start doing it our way instead of his way. We embrace a promise. And that promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. Abraham and Sarah waited a long time before God fulfilled the promise that they would have a son. And it was, of course, going to be by his power and his miraculous hand. But sometimes we, we say, well, you know what? Maybe God's waiting for us to help him. Let me just share this word. Don't do that. Just simply don't do that. 
you realize that even right now, today in this world, because Abraham and Sarah decided to help God out and do it their way to fulfill his promise, it's why we have all the problems in the Middle East we have even right now, that one decision. So, can I just remind you, don't do that. Trust him through it. Be patient with him. And the other thing that came to my mind is I thought, well, Lord, Isaac, you want him to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac is the son of promise. You said over in Genesis chapter 21 and in verse 12, you told Abraham that uh, it would be through Isaac that his descendants would be named. And so, Lord, I don't know how to put that together. The principles, the promises, precepts of God almost all the time is in conflict with the world. The way the world thinks, even the way we think. But it's a test. It's a test. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Will you obey me even if you cannot explain it and understand it? That's the test. And Abraham was being tested. I am constantly being tested. Listen, brothers and sisters of Christ, you are constantly being tested. It may not obviously be at the level that Abraham at this time in his life was being tested, but you are being tested. He's wanting to know, do you love me? Do you trust me? Will you obey me? The tests that you face are not the tests that I face. Now, each one is, is exactly where we are. The Lord knows us all perfectly. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. He knows how we think. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. And so every test is focused on who you are and what he needs to accomplish in you and what he needs to accomplish in me. But his focus is on our faith because faith, faith is like muscles in our body. You don't use it, you'll lose it. There's a reason they have learned through the years that after you have surgery, they want to get you moving as quickly as possible instead of, uh, as they did for many years, just let you lie in bed. What would happen? You'd get weaker and weaker. It'd take longer and longer to recover. But the sooner they can get you up and they can get you moving, because this body is built to move. This body is built to be able to sustain strength and sustain, sustain stability. And if we just lie around... We get weak. But if I want these muscles to be stronger, whoa, now I've got to work them, right? Now I've got to stretch them. 
Now I have a personal trainer who I was thinking at the University of South Carolina was about to kill me. Pushing me to the limit. But it's because he cared for me. Because he knew I needed to get stronger and I needed to get bigger to play this game called football. Faith is the same way. To get stronger in your faith, it must be tested. It must be stretched. Sometimes God will stretch us all the way we think to the limit. Always asking the question in our heart and mind, do you love me? Do you trust me? Will you obey me? So notice the third thing. Not just a personal trainer and a prioritized focus, but a provisional Lord. Let's go back to this story here. Amazed Abraham did not hesitate. I'm not saying he didn't struggle in his heart. I'm not, and I'm not saying he wasn't struggling in his mind. I, to me, how could he not? This is his son. Next morning, though, he gets up and he grabs the fire and he's got the wood. He <coughs> excuse me, ties the wood onto Isaac. And they head out to make the sacrifice. Well, Isaac was a very observant young man. And on their way, he kind of looked up and said, hey, Dad. You got the fire, I'm carrying the wood. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham's response was quite enlightening. Scripture says in Genesis 22:8, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now you know how the story ends up and how it began to unfold. They went all the way to the place, to the mountain that God had shown him. Nothing had been provided. And so Abraham goes through the process. He builds the altar. He puts the wood on the altar. He ties his son up and places him on the altar. And now he has lifted his life, ready to slay his son, to offer him simply because the Lord God said, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. And it was only then that God spoke to him, said the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, don't you touch that lad. He had a ram caught in the thicket. God provided for himself a sacrifice. And so the scripture says in verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Y'all know this as the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. See, what we want the Lord to do, and I'm with you, I've been there, done this, it is my preference, but it doesn't help my faith. Lord, would you provide beforehand? Just give me everything I need now, all right? You know, 
But that doesn't help our faith. It takes no faith. If God provides everything up front, then it takes no faith. And so he will take us. He will never provide before time, but he always provides right on time. But it has to be in response to our faith. He says, love me, trust me, obey me, let me handle the circumstances. And then he provides. And so you might say, you know, I just, just living to be happy. Well, that's okay. But what you really want in your soul is something exceedingly abundantly greater, joy unspeakable, indescribable, and peace that surpasses all understanding. Work with him, don't work against him, and you'll see how good God really will be in your life. So Father God, we come Lord, knowing that life happens, we will experience the good. You bless us. We do experience the ugly. Sometimes it's hard. We know you're testing our faith. Help us, Lord God, to look with with spiritual eyes on things instead of selfish eyes. Because, Lord God, we want to grow. We don't want to be babes in Christ, soft, unusable, and self-absorbent. We want to be mighty servants of yours. And so we surrender to your testing. And help us, Lord God, not to fall to the temptation of using our way to fulfill your plans. In Jesus' name, amen.